Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine the one thing I have to do personally got you into music, playing guitar, singing? Was there one moment, was there one person that said? Yeah, my, um, my cousin and her friend were, were cleaning out a basement at my uncle's house, and they found a, a guitar. No one can trace the... No one knows who owned, ever owned this guitar. Um, but my cousin's friend said, you should, you should talk to your dad and see, and see if he'll give it to Chris. I bet you Chris could play that thing. It was kind of as simple as that. I tried it out, and I, it turned out I could play it. I just kind of—it kind of made sense to me. I—I—I I, I, I don't, I don't really know why, but the, you know, I fiddled on piano, and that made no sense to me at all. I picked up a guitar, and it made sense. So, it wasn't like some. It's not the same way I got into records, where it was like an older dude in the neighborhood. It yeah. was like try this, do this move, listen to this record, listen to this, listen to this. It was just like, here's a thing, hold it for a while, see what happens. But if they didn't clean up that basement that day, I, I wouldn't have free headphones right now. <laughs> <laughs> was it, what was, what kind of, what connected it to you? What was sort of the... I honestly think it was the actual feeling. I think it was the resonance of the body of the guitar against my chest. Yeah. Because like, I feel like, um, and I still feel like, I kind of like hear harmony everywhere, melody everywhere, floating around, and um, there's just so much overtone. And I didn't know really what I was doing. I was just sounding out something until it sounded like... You know, my mother was a piano player, so I knew, like, inherently what chords are supposed to sound like. I didn't know what chords were what. But I knew, like, um, the the general tonality of how to build a chord somehow. So I would just hunt around until I had it. And then I'd just feel it against my chest, and I'd hear other notes. And that was the thing that got me all excited. The overtones that come, you know, from playing and... uh, From from the bell of the guitar, but also from your imagination, where Mm -hmm. you imply a fifth over it or something in your mind. That's what, that's what resonated with me. That's cool. What was sort of one of the first record that you kind of heard that sort of got you excited about music? Did that in turn, was that to play guitar or was it... Well, the first... No, I don't think like the first records I got, I bought or were given to me really gave me like the bug to play guitar. Um, I remember getting like purple rain and uh, it's a great guitar record you know it's just hidden under hinder, hidden in a great pop record you know i mean he's he's Jimi hendrix like yeah. he's he's a phenomenal phenomenal otherworldly guitar player but but the sheen of it all you know it's just sort of hidden in there you know um i, th- I don't think it was in- until um i was given a hand me down um maybe it was blood on the tracks and bookends and uh, where it's clearly it's just the pretty much just the dude and the or dudes and the guitar and that's when it started to resonate with me like wow you know there's a there's a way to frame a story here with such simplicity 
but uh, have it uh, amount to so much more. Mm-hmm. And how, how'd you find out about bands then? Well, um, my stepbrother was a bit older than me. He was really into metal. So that's how I found out about all these metal bands. And I had a cousin that was into classic rock, Stones and and, uh, and what have you, and he would, he would make me tapes. And then I had um, a girl down the street that would that I liked, so I'd listen to whatever she liked, and that sort of was a repeating trend. Yeah. And then, um, I think, I think a, I try to remember, I'm trying to recall, like, what, well, I guess, I guess the most important inroad for me for finding music was skateboard videos. So many people have said that. Yeah. Um, on these things where it's those videos it's those bands and yeah. you, you, listen, you watched them so much that it's sort of ingrained yeah. like. and surf videos too like I remember uh, I didn't even surf but I would watch the videos because I was like oh I could discover music this way I remember that's how I found, about Jane, found out about Jane's addiction and like just really went down the rabbit hole with Jane's addiction Operation Ivy from Skate Videos I, mm-hmm. I, I remember um this specific H Street video, which I just wore out. <laughs> and you couldn't find, like, sometimes, you know, like, it would say who was the bands at the end, you know. But there was, like, no independent record stores, and I had no idea, like, how to order from catalogs or you get the Google catalogs. It. You couldn't Google it back <laughs> then, you know. You might just, maybe somebody in the neighborhood knew, but um, finally, like, a, a skate shop opened close, close enough that we could get to it and we could ask them, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, that those were the older, cooler guys that actually had the records and then they would they would help us out it was it was kind of a great little um assembly line they had there they were like teaching the kids to skate so that they would be the next guys working in the shop but also teaching them how to have taste in music but also teaching them how to discover things for themselves which i think is part of the skateboard and surf community it's like this journey of self-discovery in all things not just uh, you know you're blaze you're meant to blaze your own trail in that world it's not a team sport and it's not a joiner culture. So all the music seemed to be counterculture. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me a bit of an opinionated snob because of it. Uh, looking back, I don't know if I should have been snobbish over some of these bands, but I was snobbish about the fact that no one else knew them, you know. And I took a point of pride in that. You know, they were, they were ours. But it took a little bit of work. It took work. You yeah. had to oh, yeah, read yeah, the liner to... notes. You had to look at the back and say, all right, well, this guy thanked this guy. Oh, he was in that other bit. Let yeah. me go find... You know, mm-hmm. go find... It wasn't five seconds you're hearing everything on Spotify. And right. You're done. And you'd hear about, like, one guy, Ian Mackay. Okay, what? why is <laughs> this guy so important, and how do I track down everything he's connected to, and then everything that guy's connected to and down the road, you know? And, you know, I found out about, uh, you know, Minor Threat led me to Black Flag, um, Black Flag led me to Circle Jerks. Fugazi came out and changed everything. <laughs> it taught me about groove and and also ethos, you know, which I didn't understand at the time. Like, wait a minute. So I got political s- stance. Like that I got in music. But like the way that we're going to conduct our band, our shows are going to be six bucks forever. Stuff like that. Like when you have, when you have an allowance that's five bucks a week or whatever you know like a six dollar show is like but they're doing this for, for me you know mm-hmm. and all the other kids like me you know and i thought they were champions of uh it was they were they were similar the, the those artists were similar to like those the the cats at the skate shop like they just wanted they wanted you to be invited in mm-hmm. and it was like there's this whole feeling that that early punk rock scene was all about exclusivity and leaving people out and I didn't find that to be the case at all so you don't t- charge six dollars if you're leaving people out you want everybody to come in you pick someone up they follow that whole yeah, mentality absolutely and you stop the show don't get hurt no fighting don't be a dummy get out when did you start Here's going to shows? Well, I started going to shows at around um, probably Four, 13 or 14 if, uh, if they were close enough and I could get, uh, if I could get a bus ride. Um, I remember seeing... Um, was it metal stuff versus hardcore? Well, first it was metal stuff. Um, 
popular metal stuff was like the first couple of shows I went to because I went with my older brother. And the show, and these were massive shows. These, this is like Aerosmith. But it was the fact that it was, the, the, the energy of the show was just overwhelming to me. And um, so the, here's, that's my opinion, my first opinion. Like, oh, this is like, it's, it's a big event. And then I remember going to see, it's possible, I get a lot of things confused, but I want to say Youth of Today um, in Connecticut and realizing that it's, it's, not about an, it's not about grandeur in all this. It's really about community. It's a small, it's a VFW hall, mm-hmm. you know, that will never allow a show again after that one, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and then you stand there and, you, you know, you're just some punter, you know, some kid. And the, 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 somebody from the band would just be standing out there because wh- what else are they going to do? They're going to stand there and talk to you before they have to make their next long drive to get paid nothing somewhere else. <laughs> and so they would tell, they would tell you what, what bands they're listening to or they would say, uh, these are my friend's bands. And they would say, I'd say, that's cool. You know, T-shirts made uh, all mm-hmm. the difference in the world. Like, well, that guy, I like his taste because of the, I assume I like his taste because the, because the band he's in and he's wearing that t-shirt and it says Gorilla Biscuits so I'm going to find a way to get a Gorilla Biscuits record which is all really difficult you know you have to special order from these stores that they, they don't even know what catalog to start with you yeah. know like I mean they were small independent stores you know where I lived but like you know, nobody else orders. was coming in yeah. for, for a Gorilla Biscuits record they were like give me a week to figure out how to get it and then give me six weeks to get you the record yeah. okay <laughs> A different time and it, it wasn't all that long before like Napster was but it took a minute but it took a minute you know yeah. there just wasn't the, the, the um, infrastructure to do to do it another way and then of course uh, then there would be enough of us raiding this uh, you know the, raiding this specific store that they started um, they started stocking MMR so you could read reviews and I think you could order from the back of MRR. They, I think they had like this SKU number. You could like write. Mm-hmm. You could write to the, the labels. And, so many, so many ads to. Oh, so many, yeah, yeah. And um, some sketchy website, you know, GeoCitystot, whatever. Was the, <laughs> yeah. The artist or the band or yeah. the label's website. I remember. God, the, the amount of seven inches I bought that I still have um, was Zach De La Roche's. And I saw them inside out. Inside out. I saw inside out. Um, play here. Play in New York. I took the bus in, oh, and no. um, and they were just just like insane. And like you could see this. Now here was like this weird dichotomy because it's like this anti rock star thing, but like some of these guys were just going to be rock stars. Yeah. Like the the energy this guy had, it was going to be. It was going to be incredible. And I remember uh, the bass player was just this huge, huge monster of a dude named Helmet. And I would just, like, ask him some questions. And his, his, uh, he told me about his brother's band, which was... Then I got obsessed with his brother's band. Interestingly enough, he later became our tour manager for a while. Um, <laughs> my giant, we call him, because he's about nine feet tall. <laughs> um, how did you meet Amy? So Amy and I, I moved down to Florida um, junior, senior year in high school. And Amy Fiddler. Amy, Amy Fiddler uh, from Fiddler Records, uh, who probably single-handedly made, who single-handedly made a difference in a music scene that, that was otherwise doomed to obscurity forever and there was like one uh, venue right there was a venue called Cheers Cheers yeah in Miami it was a it was a beautiful dump uh, run by a lady named Gay Rosenthal who was massive proponent of of fostering young bands Um, she would talk to you she would break down your show after afterwards Um, if you got lucky enough to get in the door she would give you every show she could I got to open up for uh, for Jawbox, uh, as vacant Andes, uh, and the vacant Andes. So, so the first thing I did with Amy. Well, I guess to answer your question, how did I fall in with Amy? Well, um, she wrote before she had. So her name is Amy Fleischer. So she became Amy Fiddler because she started a zine, 
if you know what a zine is, and uh, it, uh, it was called Fiddler Jones. I can't recall why. And uh, she, she handed it to me at a show. And um, I read it, and I thought it was just, it was really phenomenally written, and it was this great uh, depth of insight into, into these bands, um, some I knew and some I didn't know, but I could just, I could just see, you know, like, here's some other kid that's invested in me in this and uh so I sought her out at the next show just to just to kind of hang around with her and we we kind of instantly became best friends uh, um, and we kind of came up with like a master plan for for making our music seem better um together not just her and I but her and a, a group of us but it was like really clear to us that like without Amy this couldn't this can't go down you know mm-hmm. because she had um, this really spectacular thing that uh, teenagers don't generally have which is called follow through <laughs> and uh, so um, so then she decided to start this label with a little loan from her old man and um, I think the f- I don't know if we were the first when we were in the Andes. I think we might have been the first thing she put out. Yeah, that was uh, the first the first seven inch. Yeah, so I don't know why she did that, but <laughs> I I think it was because we were the hardest working. I think she rewarded us for being the hardest working. We were certainly far from the best band down there. She would go on to put out the best bands down there, but she gave us a, the, the first shot. And, and damned if she didn't sell that out, you know, like just just clear uh, clean out, you know, like. And then people would come to our shows and treat us like now, like you're an actual band because you have this yeah, thing. You had a thing. You're like, we, we've we've been seeing you for for a year every Saturday at the same club, you know, and not giving a shit. And then yeah. here's now you're a band, you know. And then she put out a Newfound Glory record, and she put out. Um, I mean, she go out on to put on like put out Revolt, uh, Recover. I just think she put out that recover record, mm-hmm. right? And uh, some big, big bands. Um, but what she did do is, like, she took, I think, if I were to, if I can say so, I think her biggest claim to fame at that time was that she took New Fun Glory and Dashboard and just worked those things, those two records, until, uh, until she just broke them through sheer will, you know? And at the same time, we had gay... Um, Explaining to us, both Newfound Glory and us, uh, the, uh, well, by that time, me, well, Vacant Andy's in the beginning actually started with that get out of here. You have to get out of here. Uh, you cannot just play in this area. You're doomed here. It's just too far removed from the rest of the country. And uh, to start touring, and we did. The first tour that we did together, actually, Chad, actually Chad and I had a, Chad and, George, Chad and uh, Cyrus and I had a, a funny moment where we realized that. If we all started like when we were like 15, I think it's been like 15 years that there's never been a year that's gone by that we haven't toured wow. together at some point of the year, which is pretty great, that's you know, great. to still have that still together. Still friends. Still get, still, <laughs> and still have the same reason for being friends, this, this, this drive that we just believed in when we were kids that just has, has not gone away, you know. Um, I always was impressed with Chad. When, you know, I saw one of the first Shia Loon tours with him, and it's coming up the East Coast. I remember him asking, like, "Hey, what's the Northeast like?" Yeah, you know, and telling him. And then any other time after, if it was Newfound Glory, he always threw his ex up, or like, just he had that remembering of that yeah. first time when he was that kid in the audience too. Yeah, I, he I has not great. stopped being the kid in the audience. No. I don't think I have either. And I think there's something about that that makes you. Um, do you feel like that's the hardcore scene or some yeah, sort of I do think that that's that's a that's a remnant of being reared in the hardcore scene I, I can't speak for other scenes I'm not from another scene but I know it's I don't know if it's unique to that scene but I know that just about everybody that came out of that scene holds true to that you know like I mean if you meet like someone and you say a couple bands and they're from if it's Girl Biscuits or you mention like hardcore bands like oh okay yeah get it yeah, you know, <laughs> we can. We, we're the same. Yeah. We know we, we've got. We've got. It's like unspoken uh, heaps of other things in common that we don't have to say. You know, yeah. like we can just okay. Now let's go get a, let's go get a drink or get yeah. dinner because we've 
we're friends now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Amy, I'll just kind of finish off with Amy for your, for your question about Amy was that she, um, she did such a good job that uh, you know before you know it she's like she's like. Gay, gay pushed us all out of town, including Amy, and uh, and she went out and she was you know hired by Vagrant Records and and uh, um, that and then I got signed because she was sitting in the office just listening to. I remember that Rich Ren, uh, Vagrant was in this period we had signed these bands, and it was a tenuous time in the development of their label where they had really maxed out what they could do because they, they 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 signed all these bands they really believed in, they they committed to these great deals where the artists were going to make as much money as any artist had ever made, you know, being on an indie label. And um, because of that, they, they didn't have any money and they were not going to sign anybody else, you know. Hard, fast rule. Amy tried to get me in the door there and she, I won't listen. I'm sorry, I can't listen. I want to listen to this. I've, I've, you're here because I believe in your ear for music, but I can't, I can't listen to this dashboard record. I'm sorry. And then uh, he walked by the office, you know, few weeks later and it's playing and he just walked in and he goes what what is that we what is that we have to sign that today and you know i know for a fact that amy just didn't stop playing the record in her office that's her you know so (laughs) until he came in and said what is that we've got to sign it and um and that and that turned it into from a from this great band experience i'd had I, i i would have had to a career and um and a life experience not a band experience and um, you know she's uh, I, I, I can't explain Amy to people well it's just I don't know people that young that are that driven that are that in touch and, and, and um, capable it hasn't changed she's just gotten better that's cool and I mean definitely the, that moment people it was felt across the scene and when that record was released and people started talking and you were on hardcore shows mm-hmm. you were playing these tours what do you remember sort of like holy shit <laughs> I remember like that I had let's see so the first, like they were only hardcore shows I did because I didn't know that if you had acoustic guitar you're supposed to go play a coffee shop Why the fuck would I ever go to a coffee shop you know I didn't I didn't know I saw you play with Snapcase yeah so he, there's okay so let's talk about that tour so Snapcase Snapcase H2O some shows was Dillinger Escape Plan and Face to Face. It's a great tour. And Dashboard. <laughs> and so Trevor from Face to Face said, uh, you know, I want this kid on this tour. Toby from H2S, I want this kid on this tour. They were just, these were the people that I believed in, uh, that I looked up to, and they were, they were inviting me on this thing, and I knew it was like, I'm gonna get, I know I'm going to get hit for this. But, you know, they're up there doing what they believe in and with their conviction. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason I shouldn't be up there just because stylistically it's different. I mean, there's plenty of reason. But in my youth, I just thought, I'm invited by the guys that are doing the show. Their fans, maybe some of them are like the guys in the band. I didn't think I was going to cross. And I didn't cross to everybody. I didn't come across to everybody as something that... All I remember Trevor saying, Trevor face-to-face was like, he's like, you're going to get beat up and you're going to get change thrown at you. But if you're lucky, it's going to be more than you're going to get paid tonight, so pick up the change. And I picked up the change. And you know, I get like dings in my guitar and my face and like, you know, people hated it. And then um, I just keep playing. And then by the end of the show, I think that they understood through listening to the songs, something in the structure of the songs this is this is from this is maybe if I were to do this the kid in the crowd or the dude in the crowd as the case was that's kind of what I would do so it would like slowly morph by the end of the show and I, I would really be able to tell because I was I was selling selling records at the end you know I'd gone from getting changed thrown at me to people coming and buying, buying the record and it was a little tough um, but and then then the guys would just like rally, you know, like, like I remember Toby would wear a dashboard shirt every night and it was like a big like, hey, fuck you guys. This is, this is, this is the band I care about yeah. seeing tonight. You care about seeing us and I care about seeing him. And it was like a give the kid a chance kind of moment. And so many of those shows where it was, it's a hardcore band with 
you know, a band that was really quiet, like a mineral, or, and then it would be like a harder band. Like it was okay. Yeah. It wasn't these. Packages. No, there was like, not. Everything must sound with a breakdown at one thirty-two in the song. Like, yeah. It didn't have to do that. No, it didn't. And I'm glad you brought up mineral because I think there was a there was that was definitely a, a show that I saw that gave me the confidence to do my own version of that. Go out and be the guy that was different because I remember seeing. I, I can't recall who they were out with, but they were heavy bands. They were straight up heavy bands, and then there was Mineral, and they were like the only band that everybody left talking about. And I thought, now that wasn't my goal. It wasn't like, oh, you've got to win the show, but it was like, wow, they were the fact that they were brave made them made it more inclusive. It didn't pu- it didn't push people away in the end. It did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the quarters fly at those guys. And uh, but then you know three or four songs in you're just like oh. what what is this is this is a whole this is a whole new this is a gift I can go down another rabbit hole because of this band and then I, and then you would but it's connected and I think that you know metal hardcore post hardcore for a minute and then went to emo like there was that lineage you could sure. see the path absolutely and I think there were some people that were like well it's only supposed to be this only yeah. supposed to be, but it, well there's always going to be watching, purists. it all made sense there's always going to be these purists but was it was I don't know I don't know if it was unique to that time where it was just allowed that there was going to be this we're going to divide that we're going to we're going to erase these lines of division I, I can't tell you now because I'm not a kid that goes to shows the same way I, I thought about it, it a lot I think it's that it was that moment where the internet wasn't as prolific you didn't have your phone you know on all the time it was like there was something about you. I feel like you were more. There was less going on for you to worry or oh well, this is what I'm supposed to be like or this is what someone told me. It's like yeah. you were at your show. You're in your local market. Those are the bands that came through. It all made sense. Yeah. You weren't. I don't know. I feel like that's the last scene or time because after that, like 2000 hit, kind of you know, internet was pretty prolific. Everything started to get faster. Yeah. It was easier to get things. Napster, those before it was, you know, there was that work involved to it. Yeah, people didn't want I, to do it. I mean, there was something to that work, and you know, bands work hard. You have to work hard. You it, that doesn't change, you know. But I think about you even hear Mineral on Bandcamp. <laughs> you didn't hear that, <laughs> you know. You didn't hear Mineral unless they showed up to play at a show, and you you know happened to be there. You didn't. You couldn't get to a. Sh- you were lucky to get to a show if you were in a band. Because it just depended on if you were able to read the atlas well or not, you know. It was, there was no extra help anywhere, you know. Jim Atkins tells a story where he would show up in a town, find a payphone, call the random kid. His mom would pick up. Oh, yeah, go here. Okay. Like, yeah. leap of faith every yep. day. Yeah. <laughs> we had shows that weren't shows. We had shows that we, you know, that were booked, that we'd show up to. And I remember we were out like, Newfound Glory in the Movie Life, and we ended up in West Virginia. Fully booked show. Kids outside. Nobody mentioned it to the club. <laughs> so we just did a show outside. Club owner came out and yelled at us. We're like, if you want to charge the people, open the club. Yeah. Good idea. Everybody inside. And the chips will fall as they may. But it's not just my finish that's peeling. And it's not alone fleeing these walls. I know that the, you know those those records and a lot of the you know tours with Dashboard, um, Vindicated was probably a pretty crazy moment. Yeah, I guess it was if there was a watershed moment for the band, it was that. Yeah. What about that? You know, time that was you know in the thick of everything. What about that? Did you? We, could you have could you step back at that moment, or were you just kind of riding the wave and and being like, "Holy crap, all the stuff is happening because it was quick I mean there was like it was this build to it, and then there was that moment it wasn't all that quick to me. It was like I started the band in nineteen ninety eight and vindicated came out when what two thousand end of two thousand three beginning two thousand four the first record took off, and then it was just sort of off to the races that that's what I meant, but that was after my third record. Oh, the first record took off, and then it just kept going. Yeah, I suppose it did. Um, but the watershed moment of being that. I guess what it, what it was for me was this 
oddity because we still were we were watching our friends get on the radio and do really well, um, which is so exciting, you know. And we'd had some, we'd had success at MTV when, when that was the biggest radio station in the country, and we'd won a um, an MTV Music Award, which was which was a like a viewer's choice award, which I'm most proud of because it was you know like actually voted on by listeners, you know. Um, but you know we're watching. Newfound Glory have like a successful song at radio and, and Jimmy World I think around that time had the middle which mm-hmm. was just an you know unqualified smash hit song and and we never did go on to have a smash on the radio uh, what we did have was was Vindicated which which effectively moved, moved the needle at least for that moment not with the same kind of longevity as the, as the middle did um, but just probably just as much through a, a less conventional way by this by uh the people that made the decisions in that movie just kind of believing in in that song um, and I really did get a chance I really was able to step back and, and see it for what it what it was because where I think my friends were getting just crushed with radio visits and meet and greets and glad handing I was still able. I was still spending my day like in the line at the show, saying thanks to the people that came, and then still selling my own merch, which was something I always liked to do from those early days we were talking about, because that's where you got to find out things about like, well, what are you listening to, and things, well, what, what's pulse. important to you? Yeah, the pulse and the and the commonality, and like, are are we the same or aren't we the same, and how? Why is this connecting us? You know. Um, so they were inundated with responsibility um, to feed the beast and, and the machine, and, 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 and it paid off well for those bands, you know. Our thing was just, we were in a trailer for a movie, and then we, were, we had the song, the movie, and it was like on the radio for like part of a summer. But it, it never, we never, had a, we never had a traditional radio hit. We had a couple of good showings. And when, like I said, when MTV was a very powerful radio station um, to use the phrase uh, that was really helpful for us but that wasn't the same as having to go visit every radio station in every town when you got there so every town I got to I could go to like the record store and then I could go wait in line with the kids and talk and play some songs with them or listen to them play their songs which is always great I always love that I still love that kids bring they bring a guitar and they sit and I wrote this thing you, you want to hear it and good, bad, or indifferent, I do want to hear it. You know, I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah, if it, if I was in line waiting for the show, I'd also want to hear that kid play the song. You know, so I did get to enjoy that probably more. I don't. I got to imagine that Newfound Gloria really enjoyed like the radio success. Yeah, it was great for them and great fun. Um, I don't know whether I would have. I probably would have. But it, I know it was a lot more work than what I had to do. I got a little bit of a, a free ride on that yeah. one, you know. And, and, it, and in that moment, I think, it kept me closer to my fans even as they felt like maybe the band was getting away from them in terms of the broader appeal. It wasn't just theirs anymore. But there I was, mm-hmm. standing out there with them. So it mitigated that to some degree. Interesting. I, I was wondering your thoughts, too, about that you know, time period since the middle, the mid two thousands. It was an interesting. The word emo got sort of bastardized, and there was all these things sort of attached to it. Um, you know, there was so much negativity yeah. brought along to it. What was your thoughts during that that time when it was about the clothes, about the eyeliner, about like yeah. what it kind of moved away from? Well, I'll start with saying it, it bummed me out, but I'll but let me back up a little bit. First of all. I've been saying this from from the very first time. I might have made the mistake in the in the in the very beginning of identifying myself as as part of that scene. Well, further was on an emo diaries comp. That, further was, yeah. And that. But if you ask him, he was only called the emo diaries because they had one major label band, so it couldn't be called the indie rock diaries. Yeah. Which I don't I don't buy. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were on the emo diaries, but I don't know what. 
let me back it up even further. I'll take it back from before further. So it predated further, it predated dashboard, that, that it being emo, the phrase, and the genre, to bands, to me, like Sunny Day Real Estate, whether, I don't know, if they might take exception to this, but that was when there was, when it was a uh, neutral term, uh, like, like rock, you know, it's like, there was no positivity or negativity, it was just like, oh. it was like, this is a thing you will like if you like this thing. Mm -hmm. So there was Sunny Day Real Estate and there was Mineral, Sense Field, I would say like Boy, Boy Sets Fire, they probably wouldn't, you know, I think all these bands would object to it now. But they, the, the point is they, they predated us, predated our scene. We didn't know what to call ourselves. We certainly didn't sound like each other. I would say like Mineral and Sensefield and Sunny Day had a, like, a, like a tie that, that, that binds, has a tie that binds closer or more obviously than say Jimmy Eat World. I, I keep using the same examples, but I'm just going to stick with them just for the, for the, to make the point. But Jimmy Eat World and Newfound Glory and Dashboard. Mm -hmm. Those are certainly not the only bands that I was involved that were, you know, there was My Chemical Romance, there was, of course, the Get Up Kids or Save Day, all these important bands, all these bands, Alkaline Trio, but they, we didn't sound the same. We just operated the same. We mm -hmm. cared about the audience. We cared about lyrics. We cared about a message that we had to say. Um, there was individualistics. There were some commonalities there, too. We had, uh, each had our own point of view. And, um, there was a fearlessness in, in um, our storytelling where we were unguarded. It didn't have to be tough even though sometimes it was tough as shit. You know, we were tough as nails on some songs, but sometimes we just said how we felt when we weren't tough as nails, mm -hmm. which I think was, like, forbidden a little bit in some of the non... in the straight hardcore and punk scene. Although, I hear it on Green Day records, and I hear it on Operation Ivy records, and I hear it in Minor Threat records. I mean, I hear, like, the, the wail of the, like, we've got nothing better to do. Like, like to me, like, that's like, I'm, lo I'm standing here lost, you know? So, anyway, um, I guess to get back to my, my point, the term felt co-opted uh, by the press, frankly. We certainly weren't calling ourselves that. Then some writers would call us that. And I, would, I wouldn't know what to say about it because it, it seemed like, well, this has been a scene that's been around a long time, and what we're doing is new. We always think what you're doing is new, right? Even though I knew who influenced me, I was like, well, no, we do a new thing. But I didn't know what to call it. And I didn't know enough to say I was just a singer-songwriter. And then, of course, Dan Horner from Sunny Day Real Estate is in Dashboard at, all of a sudden. So and so I can say, like, well, I guess, yeah, I guess we're, we're part of the emo scene, one of the main, like, whether he'd say so or not, like a main architects of a whole scene, or what I refer to as a scene, is suddenly in my band. So yeah, I guess we're part of that. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was neutral, even though it just felt like it wasn't ours. But I, I get it. I, I was like, okay, this is like... I, I looked at it even from a really early stage. Like I've watched the grunge movement happen, and then I watched them just stop using the term... It was the bands that were like, there was the A-class bands and then the C-class bands. The C-class bands like disappeared mm -hmm. to some degree, but the Nirvanas and the Pearl Jams and the Soundgardens continued on and they just, they, it simply wasn't said anymore. They're just rock. rock. So I didn't know what we'd be called, but I just didn't figure that the term would last. It did last. And then, and then, what made it strange was just like it was applied to us from a scene that became, became that predated us. The iterations kept changing, but the but the term kept being used. So suddenly you're getting like these. Um, now I'm not talking about quality, but you're, I'm talking about um, 
I don't know if I'm talking about quality. I doubt I'm talking about quality, but aesthetic. I guess I'm talking about aesthetic. So suddenly you're going from guys that are like the get-up kids and dashboard and safe stay who dress. I don't know. I don't know that we that we thought about how to dress. I guess that's how it is. It's like we put on our jeans and our T-shirt and our guitar and we went went on stage, and then and then there was like this Adam Ant moment where everybody was wearing like these skin tight clothes and. Uh, um, eyeliner and makeup and and some of it was just like if the songs were good it really kind of made it awesome like My Chemical Romance probably being the, mm-hmm. the biggest example of that they can't write show. they can't write bad songs and they're epic but they, it even transcends into the fact that these guys are like that guy's wearing a leather jacket dude He's, it, that's a leather jacket like that's not allowed like it's we're from the hardcore scene you can't even wear a leather belt you can't yeah. buy leather and he's and he's got you know, man, this one's wearing eyeliner, and you know, their clothes are so tight. How do they breathe? And and then then there was that lineage that came out of that that was like, okay, now we we don't have the songs, but we have the eyeliner. Maybe we have maybe we have songs that aren't as epic, but are t- fucking terrific. But we have to have the eyeliner, or we can't be a part of this. That's when things started becoming a little perplexing to me. I mean, all press, you could count the amount of swoop haircuts. Like, it oh, was yeah. hundreds. Yeah. And it was, it was, it'd be right, it was that Adam Ant moment where it's like, oh, wow, this is, Yeah. <laughs> you had to look the part. And then there was the watershed moments, to use the term again, where, like, you got Fall Out, I guess My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy, and then, and then to, some, to some degree, Panic at the Disco, you know, and they came out and they just blew the, the lid off, off the thing. And um, deservedly so. They're just, like, they all write incredible songs and I like I'll always I'll always hold up that that um, I guess it's that was the first Fall Out Boy record that, that broke right mm-hmm. I or mean from under, under, the, under the court tree under the court, yeah from under yeah I'm from under court tree up, yeah. or whatever from under the court tree that's the one with the sugar sugar, sugar and, yeah. and I'll hold that song up against any song I think like there's maybe of that whole era that's going to be classic radio one day you know maybe of all the bands and all the songs maybe even uh, it's a tight race between like probably Jimmy World uh, with the middle um, Sugar We're Going On Swinging and um, and Mike and like Helena or something like that you know uh that's going to like stand the test of time because of the quality of the songs were sort of the structure was timeless which is something I don't think I have uh, a big um, uh, need for like I'm okay with quirkiness um, I just think that you know and that but that you know like so so the, it it, there was quality. I don't mean at all to take away from, and there was, and there was style. There was like substance and style. I'm a, I'm a fan of substance, and I'm a fan of style. I think the slings and arrow came, came begin to come when be, began to come when we were really big, and Fall Out Boy was really big. Jimmy World was really big. My Chem was really big. And wh- who do you shoot at? The guys on top, right? So, and I won't name any bands, that, but there were some really rotten bands that came up and dressed the part and just went through the, 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 the by numbers version of it. And I, th- I think that there was a, a reduction in, in passion, but I think if not quality, that I think that, that aided the people that were detractors of what we were after. It's funny how no one's really talking about this anymore. You know, the bands that are still being talked about, if it's a mineral or if it's Fall Out Boy, they're still being talked about. That what's That's what still resonate and still resonate with fans. And I think that's what I, I felt good about it, seeing those times, or going to Warp Tour and seeing all these bands be like, no one's going to be talking about this band in five years. Yeah. Did you know you knew that at the time? I felt it. You felt it? I didn't know what to think. I just remember being at uh, Bamboozle... And the, when they did it on the West Coast, and somebody said, "What is it? What does it take to uh, to be emo?" And I was like, 
I, I'm just the wrong guy to ask. I said it so flippantly, and I took I took a lot of shit for it. But I said I said I really I don't know. I don't have any makeup, and my I'm, I wear Levi's. I just don't know. And um, you know, I was, I was thought of uh, that watching it was really entertaining. Like specifically, Panic at the Disco. Like, I mean, if, if there's ever been, they could put on a show. It's like a circus show. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it's, it's, it's Vegas, you know? What yeah. they do is Vegas. They're from Vegas. You know, it's like closer to the killers, you know? Tremendous. Um, but there's substance there. There had to be substance to what they were doing this. This is, it's, it doesn't, it needs both. Yeah. What do you think about the, the revival term? The emo revival. Have you heard about that at all? Uh, not really. So the last couple of years, there's these younger bands that are sounding like American Football, Braid, and they're they're using this term emo revival. And someone had tipped me off. They're like, uh, Tom, you gotta check this out. Someone's using this term. What? And, and it's it, not emo. It's emo revival. Yeah. And so there's this whole now term about that, and scenes and bands and people going back and forth. And it, it's. It's, I'm like, I joke with a lot of the bands. I was like, copying Braid and Captain Jazz is one thing, but like, you can't, like, that's that moment in that time. And it was just really funny. Well, I, I'll tell you what, though, that's. I like that they're copying those bands uh, versus. I don't care who they're copying. <laughs> if they're brave enough, knowing that this is already a scene that got torn apart, that they must believe in what they're doing. And I, I prop that out. And I, I loved that it, it came through. It wasn't, they could have been copying Panic or another band. Yeah. They went, went back deeper. and found it. And, and I was like, that said to me that that time period, the certain bands, those were forgotten and the sort of the cream yeah. is sort of rising. That I sort of was like, okay, there's a little redemption. So I, I don't mind the term. I think it's kind of like a homage almost. Yeah. Uh, now, Emo Revival, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm curious about now. I want to investigate, but Emo, for me, the term... It never holds any negativity to me. I guess it took me a long way to figure that out in this question, but it's just like a, if you'll excuse the term, it's a gender-neutral term for me. Just yeah. as, like... I mean, time, too. I mean, I don't think doing these interviews or doing this thing 10 years ago would have worked. If I said, hey, I want to talk about this, you'd be like, oh, not, not going to happen. But I would but have. Now, I'd have been the guy that would have talked about, about it with you because I, could, I think I understood that, like, this is to me something that was applied to some, somebody else and I feel like it's been appropriated on my behalf and that seems and I was uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. but I wasn't uncomfortable that you would call me something anything or and I, and I certainly never understood why if the if the if it was short for emotional music I didn't I couldn't figure out what made it unique because there's no shortage of emotional music across every genre. I at first thought it was screamo. Yeah. Like those really, you know, if it's uh, 400 years, frail, like all those sort of falling, like Wizards of Fire. Yeah. Think, like that kind of, I didn't know that it, like, that's what I first thought it was. Yeah. It's just funny how it just gets taken and kind of propped in different ways <laughs> still. Yeah. yeah, you should look up the, there's been a lot of, there's a, a couple labels, Count Your Lucky Stars, Top Shelf Records, they're sort of the, uh, top labels from that sort of well I loved bands. that music the first time around and I'd love to hear somebody that has youth and vibrance on their side it's amazing approaching that so I mean I, there's a band called Gates from New Jersey that are amazing they make these beautiful soundscapes it's like Mogwai but like but you can you can see the lineage like they're they're into different things but they you can tell they sort of did a little school yeah um, and that got me excited about it again be like alright yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, like the, you know, those bands too. Like Promise Ring was another one that I yes. thought predated us. You know, and like I can still go back and listen to Promise Ring. It's just as powerful to me as it was then, and f- ahead of the curve by oh, a lot. Mary Emergency and the Hooks. Oh, forget it. <laughs> forget it, man. <laughs> I love Maritime too. I think yeah. people forget that those guys write. They're still writing great music. Yeah. Um, the window is a door. It's my favorite Maritime song.
working on that covers record in 11, getting to do stuff with Michael Stipe and mm. hearing him sort of sing with you. Like, what was, was that one of those, like, as you're happening, like, holy shit the whole time? Or was He's it... He's got... Getting ready for it was a pretty holy shit moment. But, you know, uh, he walked in the door and he's just a dude. He's he's the best dude. He's the coolest dude in you'll ever see. He's the Fonz, you know. He walks in and you're just like, what <laughs> is happening here? But truthfully, he's just like, you love music? I really love music, too. You happen to love my music? I happen to love your music. You know, let's let's do this together. That must have been great. Yeah, it was like diffused all the like fear I had going in of like, what if he doesn't think I play this lick right that he's been playing? You know, having somebody play next to him better than I can for a hundred years. You know, mm-hmm. oh wait, I shouldn't say hundred years, but you know, for his first career. <laughs> and um, he's just—I can't tell you like to hear him sing our stuff. That was the one that was for me to sing. The REM stuff with him there, with him singing, was was kind of glorious. But for him to watch how he internalized, like hands down specifically, and he just had, he talked to me for hours about the meaning of the song. He really needed to find the meaning of the song for him. He had his own point of view. He'd listen to the song. Like like I said, he was a fan of it, which is how this came to be, and. Um, then he wanted to compare notes and what the song meant to us both. And all that common ground we found in the meaning of the song really made it, like, it gave that song, which was it is important to my fan base, it's important to me, up even more longevity in terms of its meaning or the lasting of its meaning to me. To have had that conversation with one of my heroes who, I mean, he was... he. He spe- they're specifically a band that inspired me to to not shy away from saying things poetically and not shy away from saying things that are um, emotional. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, so talk about sort of the new stuff and moving forward. Um, what kind of keeps you motivated with this? Well, I love music and I love being the underdog and I love... Um, working really hard um, so that keeps me motivated the path to the new songs was circuitous and um, it was like digging deeper and deeper into my earliest influences and I thought that was the the best way to find what I wanted to say wanted, how, what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it next as opposed to what are kids doing now you know like that trap it's like, you know like where all this stuff has is inside of me from these years and years of going to shows seeing a t-shirt and talking about a band and before that being alone in my room like I've taken it to that point now like where, where, where was I who was I when I was alone what why what did I derive out of those moments before I was going to shows and why have I been afraid to d- dig that deep yet and I'm not afraid to now and um, you know it's there's a demand for dashboard that's pretty high among our fan base, and it's it'd be real easy to turn the key and say, well, let's just go out and, and um, satisfy both of our need, both the fans base, fan base and, and our own bands need to be together in the room together, and um, and get and not have to worry about our rent and not have to worry about. You know what happens if this gear breaks down? Because like, it's an established band. Well, you take it somewhere to get fixed, and you'll be able to pay for it. You know, as opposed to, what if this piece of gear breaks down? I'm going to find a piece of wire, fix the piece of gear. You know, but, but I think that there's, there's a lot left to explore, and I I would rather, I would rather find it, the way I found it the way I've always found it by by looking towards what's moved me and um, finding a way to emulate it without trading on it finding a way to be educated by it and finding a way to finding my own path into 
the reward that's sitting there waiting to be had if you can if you can really do it well. And we didn't expect this kind of music to become popular even on the fringe level. Well, maybe on the fringe level. You know, we thought, you know, I've existed in a niche for a long time, but I thought I found a real dark corner of a niche with the, like a boot stomping folk kind of band. Um, but um, luckily for us, I would say, uh, the, like Avid Brothers Blaze the Trail, Mumford knocked the door clean off the hinges. And, and now, if you hear a mandolin, you, you, you might not change the station, you know? So, mm-hmm. so instead of hearing a note, you might hear a bar or a verse or a chorus. So instead of being where we aimed for, which was a real tight corner of a niche where we felt we would be, feel personally rewarded, find connections with fans, it's always been my driving force, you know? Now we, we might be able to have a, like, like Dashboard did, in the same way, here we had this niche, it didn't grow, it don't, it, the net grew wider, that's all. It didn't get like, it didn't combust, you know, but mm-hmm. just the net grew wider. And I think the, ver- the, the fact, by virtue of the fact that those bands have similar taste in instrumentation, because let's face it, they write hit songs and they could make them, mm-hmm. they could, they, they could arrange them and dress them any way they wanted. They could be piano ballads, they'd be hits. They could be, could be you know, EDM and they'd be hits. But, but they happen to like the same instrumentation we like, and it gives us an opportunity to, to, um, to be heard. But it also, to me, it, it's closer to what I originally loved than anything I've done since, you know, with the dashboard. You can attest, it was, it was me and an acoustic guitar um, for a long, long time. And uh, I, I wonder, you know, like I, I wonder if it seems like we're interlopers and, I, and it's, it's funny to me, like I've been using an open tuning acoustic guitar a lot longer than Mumford and Sons been a band. So I don't know what defines it, yeah. that, you know, but I just maintain that we have like how lucky for me that these this band with similar taste happens to be the most successful band in the world, yeah. you know. So a few more. Um, I just, I definitely wanted to sort of the future and what's next. And I think so many people, you know, love you mm. and are taking the ride with you. Yeah. Versus if it's Dashboard, if it was, you know, further reunion and now to Twin Forks. And I think people are still taking that ride with you. Um, you know, uh, I don't think anyone wants you to go away. Like what, what, what's sort of the, what's next for you? What's sort of. Not next is not the band, but like, what, what do you want to do? You know, keep keep doing this for forty years and do. Yeah, I don't have any. Do uh, a tour of Beacon. You know, when, yeah. we're, when we're all sixty. I mean, I'm I'm fully <laughs> committed to this project that I'm, this band that I'm in. It's not a project. But then I sit here with you and you talk about this emo revival, and I and I'm and I'm just, I can feel myself drawn because I loved that music when it, when that was. Whatever it is that they're drawing from, the same thing that was you you, I, that I was listening to. Like, I can, like I, it, I, I lost it. Like, like it went, it went away. Like it all went away. So you're telling me there's a revival of this, of quality musicians making quality music Amazing and really stuff. And like I could feel myself being drawn in and being reinvigorated by these kids and and finding my way back to whether they like my band or not. Or they may think that we were the. The, the ruination of, of that shit. I would disagree with them wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you get pr- referenced. And, and it gets wanna... referenced. You know, further gets referenced, dashboard gets referenced. And... But I want to, like, there's part of me that wants to prove to them, like, like it was, it got popular. It didn't, there was, it was uncompromising, but it got pop, 
it happened to get popular, but it was uncompromising. And I'd love to see what they're doing and seeing if I, if I, I think you if I still have more to say in that world. I'm yeah. curious. Interesting. Um, and then to like, I actually feel like I got a gift finding out about that stuff, because, I mean, I really like. There's parts of me that like, you know, you name you name checked the bands that they seem to um, call from, uh, Mineral and and Braid and American to, football and American football, which is awesome. Um, you gonna come to the shows? Yeah, and um, <laughs> those were the bands that that like, you know, like that I. St- I almost don't listen to those um, records. and I, The reason I don't listen to those records anymore like I did is because I feel like it all got taken away somehow. It, it like comes with a with baggage. Per, this is personal baggage, you know? And uh, to know that there's... Maybe there's a Braid-esque band out there that is going to light me on fire. I mean, it's like it's I go so up, exciting. I go up to some of them, I, and, and it was a South by or something. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm Tom from Washington People, and I'm like, oh my god, we love you. Like they're like, oh, we listen to this and then this. And it's like that's so amazing. Like not just be. It's like I don't care. Like don't take my name out of it. It's that you found out about some band that I loved and now you're sort of connected to it and you respect it and it's that whole yeah. sort of circle thing. Well, they're, It's interesting. It sounds to me like they're... they're uh, it just, we had respect. We did have respect as a scene and it, it just got... I just think that eyeliner period like took the respect away. Um, it's coming back. But this sounds like these guys are coming and I mean, I, I don't have any, if they're, you know, I, I can only envision Braid and Mineral. So all I can see is, like, people that don't give a shit about, you know, like they're wearing what they wore to drive the van there and get yeah, on stage and play the, and I, I just I just love that, you know? Yeah. And, like, you're talking, Braid's like, back together. And I can't tell you, like, like that I still, like, some things never change for me. Like, I, I'll tour for six months, I only take two pairs of clothes. So... I never like the glamorous part of it. Just never, it just never happened for me, you know. And it's Necessity, that's the bit that space. I that's, that's what I hated. I hated all that. <laughs> it was just the bloated nature of it. Just was was. It just got to be where, you know, it was it was the it was the van. You know, I saw Cursive show up once in a minivan to Vagrant Across America mm-hmm. to, you know, is Warp Tour like. Like what is how many buses? Right. Like the lead singer has his own bus, and then the band does, and the crew's like, "What is going on?" <laughs> you don't need all that. No. You just need a damn guitar. Yeah. Um, last one or two. I mean, um, you know, what would you want someone when we you know we're both old in retirement home and hanging out and um, listening to records? Um, what would you want someone to say when they looked back at the work of you and all the stuff that you've worked on, all, all the bands? Good job. <laughs> I, would, I, I would like them to say good job. And I would like them to say, I admire that you worked so hard. Just because you believed in it and the, and the people that cared about it. That's, that's what it boils down to. I'll never maintain that I wrote the best songs in the world or the most important songs in the world. I just wrote songs that were the most insert, important songs to some people and, it, it, and to me. And I felt like the connection that we had was worth giving up a lot of like normal lifestyle mm-hmm. things to continue to share together with people. And it's been very, very hard work to do so, but very gratifyingly hard, gratifying hard work. But I guess good job would be a nice, <laughs> nice thing to hear.
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.